Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari and this is Great Big History Podcast. In this episode of History 102, we do communism. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. It's the second challenger to laissez-faire capitalism, which, remember, we said died with the stock market crash in 1929 and the ensuing Great Depression through 1932. Now, communism is a little complicated because there's Marxist communism in theory, and we've talked about that in part one of our class, but there's Stalinist communism with the um, quotation marks around it in actuality. Because the USSR, Lenin, Stalin's USSR, is never really communist. They just called it communist and declared a win. It's like a football team getting to like the 12-yard the line, spiking the football and saying, touchdown, we win. It, it wasn't reality, which is going to already tell you how bad things are going to get. When a government doesn't live in reality, you've got problems. So um, let's start with a nice little comic about a dog, because um, why not? Uh, we have our little, uh, this is Hey Buddy Comics. We've got Buddy, our, our little dog, going to Carl Barks Dog Training School. And his owner goes, sit. And Carl and Buddy sits, lay down. And Buddy lays down and goes, beg. He goes, the working class does not beg. We organize and take back what is rightfully ours. Smart dog. So if you get one thing from this lecture, get this. Because there's a lot of like talking. You'll see books in the bookshelves. Communism is a liberal, utopian, revolutionary idea. It wants to change the economic system a lot. Which means it has to change the political system. Probably by revolution, because most political systems don't just change, right? United States, monarchy to republic, revolution. Rome, republic to monarchy, revolution, right? France, monarchy to republic, revolution to monarchy, massive wars and a revolution to a to a new republic, revolution. To a new monarchy, uh, defeat in war, or a revolution. Well, 1848, so both. Um, so France is a bit of a mess when we talk about this. But it's, it's a revolutionary idea. It wants to overthrow the political system. Communists slash liberals can't be fascist. Now, I bring this up because you'll see people on Fox News, you'll see conservative commentators, you'll see conservative books called liberal fascism. It, it's a misnomer. It can't exist. It literally is telling the audience, um, I do not know what I'm talking about. I am taking two things you dislike because everybody hates fascists because they're the Nazis. So... And they're saying, they're not us. We're not the Nazis. Well, conservatives, as we'll talk about, are the Nazis. Now, not conservatives, all conservatives, but fascism, Nazism, is a conservative ideology. And communism is liberals. So AOC, if you hate AOC, 
you call her a communist. She's not a fascist. There's nothing in her or Bernie's political philosophy, economic philosophy, that is at all fascism. It's basically a bunch of conservatives saying, uh, they're going to make you do stuff, and that's fascist. But that's not fascist at all. But we'll talk about that when we get to fascism. But if there's one thing you get out of this, it's communists are liberals. They are, communism is as far as liberalism can go. So, let's go into this. So, communism is the second challenger to the dead laissez-faire capitalism, right? The first was New Deal, FDR's Keynesian economics, right? Keynesian economics was challenger number one. Pay people stuff, right? Keep the capitalism, but have high taxes, lots of redistribution, government involved in the economy. What we would call center-left. So it's more liberal than before, but it keeps a lot of the conservative stuff. Communism wants to get rid of all the conservative stuff and go full to the left, full uh, liberalism. So it starts with this idea, the very big enlightenment idea that all people are created equal. Like, really? It's a liberal economic ideology. Everyone shares ownership of the economy. The biggest kind of way it works is everyone contributes to the best of their abilities in their specialties rather than take jobs that they must have for money. And in this, there's less waste of human potential. You know, if somebody would, somebody might have the talent and the ability to be an, an awesome guitarist, a concert pianist, but they're working in McDonald's. Why? Because they need the money. They need the money to pay the, pay the rent. So they can't be who they have the ability, the desire to be. And capitalism, because it's about the money and the business, doesn't care. It just needs a person. It needs a person to make the chicken McNuggets. McDonald's doesn't care about what they dream or aspire to. It needs a person. And you know this because most, I bet it's happened to me, and I bet it's happens to most of you you quit a job does the job ever call you back does the owner of the business or the manager that you work for ever call you back and go hey joe hey mary i just want to know if you're happy if you're doing what you want to do i just want to check in on your happiness hey can the business pay help you like buy you a class or two you know we want to help you Capitalism doesn't care. That's both its advantage. It just cares about money. And its disadvantage. It doesn't care about people. Communism cares about people. Now remember, you have to remember this. At the moment, we're talking about the theory. So if you're like, wait, wait, wait. Remember, we're talking about Marxist theory. And what Marxist communism wants is less waste of human potential, which is what John Stuart Mill and Harriet Mill talk about in On Liberty. They talk about all of this wasted female potential. All of these women could be making stuff, doing stuff, contributing, making money. And what are they? They're moms. And yeah, moms are good, but not every woman wants to be a mom. Like Joe from Little Women. 
Now she ends up married and a mom and a lot of, and, and, and uh, Louisa May Alcott hated that idea. Even as she was writing it, she didn't want to do it. Her fans kind of pushed her into it. Her fans were like, but, but, but Joe has to end up with somebody who will take care of her. And Louisa May Alcott is writing going, Joe can take care of herself. But in 1830 or 40, whenever the book is being written in the 19th century, that was too dangerous for a woman to be on her own. But we're talking Joe could have been the waste of her potential if she doesn't go on to be a writer. Right? And that's what John and Harry Stuart Mill are talking about. Three, everyone shares in the benefit of the state according to their needs. Now, one of the things from when I was a kid in the 80s, they said everybody gets paid the same amount of money. Garbage men and doctors and teachers and lawyers and uh, shoe salesmen all make the same money. And that was never true. It was the, the stuff I learned about the Soviet Union was so much lies that I didn't find out about till college. That they were like, wait, elementary school taught me all this thing about co communism and it was all wrong. Doctors require more investment. They take longer. That's true in the United States. I come out, I have a PhD, so I'm a doctor of philosophy. I come out with a lot, lot of student loans. My friend who's a dentist and my friend who's a doctor have way more, they're like the next level up. So I have way more student loans than someone with a, with a, with a, bachelor or master's like i'm a, i'm in a whole different universe than them and my friends who are doctors are a whole different universe than me so we all deserve more pay i don't des i shouldn't get the same pay as the dentist and i should get more pay than the person who needed less education than i did less investment and that's how communism is supposed to work the requirements of the job, the needs of the job determine the pay. But, and this is the big but, there's not a, as much disparity as in the United States. Think, I have two pictures here. There's Norman Rockwell's country doctor. So there's a family going to the doctor. They're in his home office. Look at their dress. Look at the office, right? This is a doctor and country folk in New Hampshire. Do they look like they live in different economic universes? It's a doctor and country folk. Right? And yet, look at the accoutrements on the doctor's desk in the room. Does he look rich to you? Then there's To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch. Atticus Finch is the leading lawyer in town. He's wearing the suit. But look at all the people, what they're wearing behind him. They're in dungarees. They're in a tie with overalls. And they're in tie with suspenders. They're in, they're in dungarees and overalls. Right? Is Atticus Finch, who's the front and on the left, played by Gregory Peck, is he more educated? Is he more highly paid than the country folk? And the uh, town folk behind him? Yes. Is he rich? 
In fact, there's a scene in which Scout goes, Atticus, Atticus, are we poor? Now, this is 1932, 33. It's the middle of Depression. And Atticus goes, we are indeed. Are we as poor as the Cunninghams? Well, now the Cunninghams are country folk. They're farmers. The crash hit them the hardest. So it's, we're poor. We're not as poor as the Cunninghams are. But I'm a lawyer with a maid or a housekeeper. And we're still poor. We are indeed. We're poor folk. And he is the leading lawyer in town. He's one of the leading people in the town. And that's what we're talking about. There are higher lows and lower highs. There is more equity in income distribution. So there is no Jeff Bezos in communism, in Marxist communism. Nor are there people making like there are in Camden. There's a zip code in Camden where the average income is $18,000 a year. And then there's Haddonfield, where the average income is $122,000. Now, just so you know, the average income of an average worker in America is about $60,000. So middle class is like forty-five to like sixty-five, seventy thousand dollars $70,000, right? So Haddonfield is not middle class. It's one of the richest 5% of, of zip codes in the entire country. And five miles away is a Camden city zip code, which is one of the poorest zip codes in the country. In communism, Marx doesn't want that to happen. You would squish that. The highs would be lower, the lows would be higher, and you'd have more equity. You'd have what America looked like in 1940 through the 1950s. It is a revolutionary idea by attacking the very group that caused the Great Depression. They got rich, and they stuck us with the cost. So people were attracted to it. This is attractive to working folk, especially in Europe, as a means of replacing the traditional religious and imperial system. The kings lost. They're losers. They can't help us anymore. And the nobility, the sirs and whatnot, F them. And the oligarchs who are running the economy because they were related or they were networked into the nobility back in the day, F them. It's a way of clearing the deck to start anew. In Europe, that's the problem with New Deal liberalism. That's the problem with saving the system. There's a whole lot of people who don't want to save the system because the republic is weak, the monarchy is toxic, and all the gunk that's been left behind after the First World War is clogging up the system. And people are like, let's just start over. Kind of like 18, 17, um, 1789 with the Constitution. Remember, the Constitution is our like third form of government. We had the Continental Congress. We then had the Articles of Confederation. The Continental Congress didn't work very well and didn't become permanent. The Articles of Confederation worked even less. And so we started 1789 with the Constitution completely clearing the decks to create a whole new form of government with a president that nobody had before. There's no country with a president. 
And we had the Senate. Well, we bringing back that from the, the Romans. Like, that's completely new. Like, America was a revolutionary place in, seven, in the 1780s. We went through three forms of government. So for Europe after World War I, there's a lot of people who are like, I don't want to save capitalism. I want to start over. I want to clear the decks. I want to get rid of all these noble guys who own all, who have all the money socked away in banks in like Switzerland and in America. It's anti-party divisions. It's anti-class divisions. It's small local decisions. It's very Rousseau. Marx is very Rousseauian. If Thomas Jefferson is Locke, Marx is looking at Rousseau and trying to make Rousseau into a reality. And that attracted people like John Lennon, right? John Lennon's Imagine is Rousseau. It's also Marxian, right? There's no, there's no possessions. There's no God. Well, that's what Marx was talking about. Like everyone who sings Imagine is singing a communist song. They just don't know it because John Lennon made a shit ton of money off of it. And it sounds like, ooh, but look at the lyrics, man. It's communism. It's Rousseau, it's Marx, it's communism. It promised an end to misogyny. Remember, all people are created equal in Marxist communism. It ends racism. It ends economic exploitation where your boss gets rich and you work hard. You work too hard and get nothing out of it. End of slavery. End of poverty. That's what's promising. And then the USSR looked good. It wasn't hurt by the Great Depression. It was making progress. It was rebuilding the country. Now, the reason why it wasn't hurt by the Great Depression is it wasn't part. It was locked out of the capitalist credit and trading systems. So it was making an economy on its own. But from the outside, you're looking at it going, it's the only place in Europe that's making money, that's on the move. It organized the people. It gave them something to believe in. Communism was on the move. It was modern. It was profitable. It was equitable. Women worked. They got education like men. They were given power and, and roles of responsibility. Minorities were protected. Religious conservatism ended by going to atheism. So they cleared out all the, all the uh, privileges of the Orthodox Church which was a traditional weight to progress. Look at what, take a look at when we talk about Spain. It's a drag. The church is the biggest drag on modernity because the church is a medieval or classical system. At the best, it's medieval. It doesn't want to update. And this was a complaint of Protestants in the 1500s. Protestantism was, was modern. Catholicism was medieval. And orthodoxy, nobody even knew what the hell orthodoxy was. Orthodox Christianity was like so far, so old and stuck in the past, like to Protestants, it didn't even count. So this was clearing the decks. The USSR was a success. It was an attractive alternative to clear failure of conservative capitalist democracy. Now, I gave you a whole bunch of things and you can go, but, 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 and I agree with those buts. Because there are big butts that go with all those points that I just mentioned, but nobody knew them at the time. And you have to, before you go, but, 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 you have to remember, this is what it looked like from the outside. 
Nobody knew about those butts, and we'll get to those butts. So the problem is the theory doesn't match the reality inside the USSR, but nobody knew. The revolution plus the Civil War, the revolution of 1918-1917, and the subsequent collapse of the Russian Empire, the loss of Finland, the loss of Poland, the loss of um, the Ukraine for a while, the Baltic states, and you know other places in the Caucasus. To save the revolution, to win the Civil War, and to put Russia back together again, even though it's now going to be called the USSR, the idea was to put the Russian Empire back together again with Ukraine and absorb the Baltic states and get get back all these parts that that were part of Russia, even if they weren't Russian, meant the government owned everything. So you had a national government of Lenin. And then after Lenin passes away, eventually of Stalin. In between, there's a group of dudes, Stalin is one of them, who say, hey, we're a committee, we're friends, we're homeboys, we could run it all together. And I guess, Stalin, you could be part of it. And whoops, that turned out to be bad. It was very strong. The government, Lenin, and the army, Lenin, commands. The government, Lenin, creates, and the army, Trotsky, T-R-O-T-S-K-Y, creates, is very strong, but it's not Rousseauian. The government is going to own everything. So what you have is a command economy. Government directed what was to be produced, how much, its pay, and its cost. You had massive government subsidies to keep people happy. So so bread cost a dime. It was more expensive to produce than a dime. But the government wanted people to be happy. It didn't want them to revolt. They had just had a revolution in a civil war. And so the idea was we will make bread cheap. So it was a cost. So the government subsidized that cost. How did it, what was one way of subsidizing that cost? Poverty. And a lack of consumer goods to keep costs low. See, if it costs you a dollar to make a loaf of bread, but you're saving, but you're selling it for 10 cents, you are losing 90 cents. That 90 cents has to be found somewhere in the system. And the way the Soviet Union found it was by basically making it impossible for Russians to buy anything. So Russian uh, Russian standards of living for some people, especially in the cities, went down. Russians saved huge amounts of money. With nothing to buy, they put the money into Russian banks, which then, since they were owned by the government, quote, loaned the government the money in order to build heavy industry and employ people. So you have us this circular. Remember we talked about the circular um, economy, the circular flow of money from the U.S. to 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 the U.K., the U.S., to Germany, from Germany to Britain and France, from Britain and France back to the U.S. It's happening in Russia, too. It's just within Russia. So the Russian government is borrowing money from Russian banks. It is then building heavy industry, right? Tractor, far, tractor factories, right? Steel mills, you know, big things. And employing lots of people and paying those people with that money. It is then, then people get paid they have nothing to buy because there is literally just nothing to buy and so they put the money into the bank because they don't have anything to buy 
and the bank loans the money back to the government. And this money keeps circulating. It's the same money. Which means Russia is building stuff, but it's not getting any richer because no money is coming into the system. Two, the lack of support from industrial capitalist countries, uh, just like we talked about with Haiti, meant that Lenin needed worldwide revolution. See, like, if you're Germany, if you're Britain, if you're France, if you're United States, you don't want to loan money to the Soviet Union. That's helping your competitor. They want to oh, the, the Soviet Union wants to overthrow your economy. Why would you give them money and loan it to them? This is kind of the mistake, quote unquote, we could talk about that the West made with China in the 1990s and early 2000s. You know, they created China was not a competitor in 1990 and they made it into a competitor. They, China has become the second largest economy in the world on the back of a lot of money loaned to it by Western companies and banks so that now it doesn't need them. And you can see, we'll talk about that when we get there. So Lenin needs more revolutions. He needs to spread communism. You need friends. Communist countries need more communist countries in order to remain communist. So the USSR is constantly on war footing, which is expensive. And it had been. You had the revolution. You had civil war. You then had the co collapse of the Russian Empire. So you had war to re-put the Russian Empire back together, which means constant war footing. You're supporting revolts and and communist parties in the West. You're, you're, you're maintaining this massive military. Even in the 30s, the Soviet Union had the largest military in Europe. Even with, with Hitler rearming and trying to hire every last German he could and put him into the army, the Soviet Union's army was still bigger. Well, that's massive cost to the government. And it means they're not making consumer goods. They're making military products. <sighs> Lenin's death is a problem because Lenin's death in 1924 began a civil war for leadership. Remember that little, that, that community? It's like eight or 10 guys and they're all men and probably Trotsky was the best of them. T-R-O-T-S-K-Y. Uh, he was certainly the philosopher of the group. But it's going to be, the winner is going to be Stalin. Stalin Stalin will control the secret police. He controls the information. And he's just better at backstabbing people than other people. So Stalin defeats his enemies within the Soviet leadership. His big one is Trotsky. He will, he will have Trotsky assassinated in like 1941 in Mexico with an ice pick. Like, dude, Stalin kept... Stalin, Trotsky hadn't been in the Soviet Union for like 10 years, 12 years. Stalin held a grudge. So Stalin had to murder his enemies within Soviet leadership. He then had to fight off attacks from capitalist states. He then had to destroy the conservatives in the USSR who might align with the capitalist states. You know, people who are in the Soviet Union, not in the leadership, but these groups that if they organized might go to Britain, France, Germany, or the United States and say, hey, can you help us overthrow Stalin? The most important of those groups are the uh, small farming landowners called the Kulaks, the independent landowners. 
And he has to build the USSR from a devastation of the World War I, the revolution, the dissolution of Russia, and the Civil War. And so what you end up with with Stalin is paranoia. He's got all these enemies out there who are all trying to knock him off because he knocked, it, knocked off his enemies. And you have autocracy. Stalin is going to control everything. So none of this is communist. So you have paranoia plus autocracy. And when people say, in America today, when conservatives say, you're a communist, this is what they mean. Stalinism's paranoia plus autocracy. That's what they mean. They don't mean Marx. I would bet they don't even know anything about Marx. And they don't mean like Christian communism or hippie communism, you know. They might support those things if you explained it to them. If you said, oh, hey, what about Charles Lennon's Imagine? They'd be like, oh, yeah, that does sound good. But what they mean when they mean communism is really Stalinism, is really paranoia plus autocracy. Now, that came out of Stalin's personality. He was paranoid about being liquidated. He liquidated other, he liquidated all these competitors. He was worried competitors would liquidate him. So what do you end up with? You end up with the Stalinist state, massive spine, gulag prisons, lots of executions, industrialized forced labor to communize the farms. You wipe out the kulaks and basically you make the peasants like factory workers so that they don't own their own farm. <coughs> they don't own their own own tractors, that they're they're simply an employee on a giant farm. Kind of like how um, fruit pickers are in America. But the government owned the farm. And so they would live at the farm and they would go out and they would do what they had to do for the farm. And they're basically rural uh, factory workers. And then you liquidated the investor class. That those nobility, that whoever that group was that was the leading class that survived the revolution in the Civil War. He wipes them out, too. So you get more autocracy than Tsarist Russia. Stalin is way more in charge of people's lives than the Tsar ever was. And the Tsar was the most conservative and most uh, autocratic of all the European kings. You have three million people executed. Ukraine was purposely starved. The nomadic folk in the East, the Turk, uh, the um, Turkmenistans, the Kyrgyzstans, they had, they were settled down. You have to stop moving around. You have to stay in one place. So basically, they use a form of the American reservation system, but also Russofication. They had to become Russian. They could no longer be Turks speaking Turkish in Turkmenistan. They had to become Russians. So all of this is 20 million dead, at least. 20 million people were murdered because this, these weren't accidental changes. They were purposeful changes. People knew what the effect was going to be. The famine was purposely starved. 20 million people dead in order to break the Russian economy and then recreate a new Soviet economy, a Stalinist economy that the Stalinist state ran. None of this is Marx. 
So this is the communism conservatives mean when they talk about, quote, communism in the USA, not the sharing ownership of the working folk idealism of Marx, nor the kind of New Deal, Scandinavian, Bernie Sanders, AOC, redistributive capitalist system that people call, quote, socialist today. You know, it's capitalist, but with lots of taxes. That's what people call socialist. That's what that not when they mean when they say communism, they don't mean what the word means. They mean this idea. And that's not necessarily their fault. They're not lying because that because of the Cold War is what we will be taught. This is what I was taught. The Stalinist state was communism. And it's not like it was until college. I sat down and read the Communist Manifesto. I read a a um, abridged version of Capital by Marx. So you you go you start reading this stuff and go, wait a minute, this sounds a whole lot like the New Deal and various other things. And like John Lennon's Imagine, this is not like what I learned in elementary school at all. So that's what we're talking about. So I know, I know, I know I've, I've hit that nail on the head a couple times, but we are entering stuff. We are entering the region. Like we didn't need to do this in the 19th century. We didn't need to do this in, in the Reformation because you don't talk enlightenment philosophy on an everyday basis. You don't turn on Fox News or MSNBC or a podcast or see books published with titles that are like out of the enlightenment that are out of las casas right but you're seeing this stuff bernie sanders gets called a communist right well what does that mean right liberals call the people who marched in charlottesville fascists well what does that mean and what do they think it means versus what does it actually mean? And that's why we're in college, to separate what people think something means from what it actually means. And so I know I'm hitting the, the nail on the head because I want you to understand that Marx's idea of communism never happened. It's an ideal utopian idea that never happened. What did happen was a paranoid autocratic murder state that was a one-party rule which wasn't what Marx wanted at all so communism looks very good on the outside but underneath the surface that people were not able to see in the, in the 20s and the 30s the Soviet Union was locked, closed off, kind of like North Korea is today. Underneath, it's in, all of its success was built on poverty, control, and massive amounts of murder. So Stalinist communism isn't going to win the world. It's a competitor. And to some people in the West, it looks good. It's like, oh, if we could have that, it's, see, it's doing things, it's getting stuff done. But nobody would accept what the reality was once they saw it. And so while it's a competitor, and it will remain a competitor till 1989, it really will never get very deep into 
winning the world. Thank you.